Okay, so we are back. Let's get into the news. Hard Talk Radio, live and uncensored. Let's get into it. and travelers right now, the CDC has just issued a health advisory asking physicians to be on high alert for the cases of the virus Marburg virus. Now, this comes after recent outbreaks overseas. 11 Alliance, Paula Soro joins us in the studio with what we need to know. Paula? Yeah, well, Ron, while there have been zero cases reported in the U.S. so far, the CDC hopes that by issuing this advisory, it will stay at zero. Marburg cases can look similar to Ebola. These are some of the symptoms people with Marburg can experience. They include fever, fatigue, and unexplained bleeding. Now, this advisory came out in response to recent outbreaks of the virus in Tanzania and Equatorial Guinea, which had no cases reported prior to this year. Now, for perspective, Equatorial Guinea has seen 14 cases from February through April 5th, and 10 of those have been deadly. Now, Dr. Jane Morgan with Piedmont Healthcare says it is important to recognize these symptoms quickly because it can be highly contagious through bodily fluids. If you are in contact, uh, you really should isolate until it is confirmed that you have a negative test 72 hours after you develop symptoms, especially if you develop symptoms. So you just want to have a high index of suspicion if you are traveling to these areas. So as Dr. Morgan mentioned, there is a test that will show you if you have the virus or not. She also tells me that you can recover if you have contracted this virus. Wow, that is that is some major stuff right there. Let's check out this other one about it. About this uh, Marburg virus. For what I read the last time, it was pretty vicious. Let's get into it. Another one. Now, if COVID-19 raising tremors across the world wasn't bad enough, here's a virus that has caused more than a flutter in Africa, U.S. health body. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention has put out a strong warning for travelers to Africa against the Marburg virus. The CDC is setting up a center-led emergency response and have warned against non-essential travel to the continent, cautioning travelers to watch out for symptoms for up to 21 days. Equatorial Guinea and Tanzania are facing their first Marburg outbreaks. Nine out of 13 people have died from this virus in Guinea, and five out of eight people have died in Tanzania. The Hold on, they just said that if you catch it, you can recover. But when we find out what's going on in, you know, Equatorial Guinea and Tanzania, people are not, that's not happening with these people. What's going on here? CDC's lab at Tanzania is focused on case testing and tracking it in the region. What exactly is the Marburg virus? The virus belongs to the same family as the Ebola virus. Just like Ebola, this causes severe hemorrhagic fever impacting multiple organs. This virus is transmissible from animals to humans. With previous disease outbreaks, the fatality rates have increased from 24% to 88%. This means that at an average, 50% of the people with this disease can die. Wow. Wow. 
that that's insane. That is insane right there. Somebody was hey, I, I don't know what's going on here, man. I mean, you're getting two different uh opinions on this stuff right here. All right. Let's check out this article right now. Okay. So, CDC warns health officials to look out for signs of deadly Marburg virus in the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has warned the public health officials to be on the lookout for signs of the Ebola-like Marburg virus in the U.S. In a health advisory published last week, the CDC told authorities to increase awareness of the risk of imported cases in the United States after two outbreaks of the Marburg virus, MVD, were confirmed in Tanzania and Equatorial uh, Guinea. Okay. CDC's warning has just um, just happened to follow a prediction by Anthony Fauci, who said that there will be definitely another much deadlier pandemic, possibly as soon as next year. Fauci is certain that he actually declared there will absolutely be an outbreak of another pandemic. Infowars reports CDC also Marburg also said Marburg, which has staggering mortality rate of 23 to 90 percent, can be difficult to diagnose. Many of the signs of the symptoms of the MVD are similar to other infectious diseases such as malaria and typhoid fever or viral hemorrhagic fevers that may have endemic in the area such as Lassa fever or Ebola. The CDC said this is especially true if only a single case is involved. MVD spread through contact with infected blood or bodily fluids rather than airborne transmission. Despite its limited means of transmission, the World Health Organization warns the Marburg virus has the potential to become a full-blown epidemic. There is no FDA-approved vaccine for Marburg virus, and it can be treated with early intensive care and fluid replacement. Notably, Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci have both recently warned that a much deadly pandemic may soon strike. Why aren't these two arrested again? That's what I like to know. Why aren't they arrested? Okay. For what they have done, for what they know is about to happen. All right. Okay, so let's get into the story about this uh, Wall Street Journal uh, journalist and how he was arrested. Two journalists have been arrested, both in different countries. Let's, let's get into that right now. follow breaking news on the arrest of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich. Russian officials detained the U.S. citizen for suspicion of spying. That's according to state media outlets in Russia. The arrest comes just months after the highly publicized prisoner swap involving WNBA superstar Brittany Griner. So let's bring in NBC News foreign correspondent Kelly Kobiea from our London bureau for more. Kelly, good morning. So lots of questions here. What more do we know about the journalist arrested? Where is he being held? What kind of work was he doing? And have we gotten a response from the outlet? 
Well, we don't know a lot specifically about the details of him being detained. The Russian security services, the FSB, says that Gershkovich was arrested in Yekaterinburg. That's about 900 miles east of Moscow. They didn't say when he was arrested or where he's being held. They're accusing him of stealing military secrets for the U.S. government and said the charge carries a 20-year prison term. Now, the Wall Street Journal has released a statement this morning. They've said that they're deeply concerned for Gershkovich's safety. They also said in this statement that the journal vehemently denies the allegations from the FSB and seeks the immediate release of our trusted and dedicated reporter, Evan Gershkovitz. We stand in solidarity with Evan and his family. Gershkovich is in his early 30s. He's from New Jersey. His parents are from Russia originally. They fled Russia in the 1980s before he was born. But look, he's a seasoned reporter. He's a Russian speaker. He's been covering this region for several years and he is fully accredited accredited to work as a journalist in that country. Sinclair. And Kelly, clearly high stakes. You mentioned a potential 20-year prison sentence. We're also hearing that the Russian court may be holding a hearing right now. How does this impact the already high tensions between the U.S. and Russia? Well, it certainly ratchets, uh, ratchets up the tension uh, between the two countries, especially given all that's happened over just the past couple of weeks with the drone incident. Uh, and, you know, it goes without saying that it's become very difficult for American journalists to work in Russia, for foreign journalists to work in Russia, particularly since the war in Ukraine started. But just to give you a sense of how uh, rare this is, how, to put this into perspective, not a single American journalist has been arrested in Russia for spying in the 25 years since the fall of the Soviet Union. So this is uh, extremely rare. Uh, the White House told us this morning that they are aware of this, that they're in touch with the Wall Street Journal. Sinclair. And Kelly, that's really important context. But this also comes just months after that prisoner swap where Brittany Griner was released, as we mentioned at the top. American Paul Whelan still does remain detained in the country. So um, what are the options here for this journalist? Well, those prisoner swaps are, are fairly rare, but they do happen. But here's the rub in this case. The Kremlin this morning said that Gershkovich was, quote, caught red-handed. So they're clearly not backing down on this arrest. So the most likely scenario for him will be similar to what happened with Brittany Griner, likely a trial on this espionage charge, a conviction, and then Moscow likely won't even begin to talk about the possibility of a prisoner swap until after the entire process is over. So we're looking at a very long ordeal for Gershkovich and his family. Sinclair. We'll definitely be staying on this one. Kelly Kobiea, thank you. This is, I mean, I would be just be honest. Look, if you're a journalist and you see what happened with Brittany Griner, quit. Because they don't care about your life. They care about getting the story, and your life is more important than a story. All right? And they say they caught him red-handed. Now, we all know that Mainstream media likes to lie to us. We know that already. They lie to us about Ukraine. They said Ukraine was a just, you know, they basically made it like it was a just war until you find that Ukrainians were neo-Nazis and they're treating uh, black and Indian foreign exchange students like crap. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's when, you know, people started raising hell and he started calling out 
politicians, mainly like AOC and the Democrats, okay, about why are you supporting neo-Nazis? When are you going to have a peace treaty facing nuclear war? We're still facing nuclear war. You know, we don't know what's going to happen still. All right. We don't know. All right. Jailed Wall Street uh, Journal reporter, even Gershkrit, has been charged with espionage in Russia and has entered a formal denial. Two Russian news agencies reported Friday. A U.S. Senate leader has condemned the allegations as baseless and fabricated and demand his release. State news agency TASS and Infertax Interfax news agency said a law enforcement source informed them that Russia's Federal Security Service, known as the FSB, had officially charged American journalists. The news outlet didn't say in what form Gershonis was formally charged or when it happened, but generally suspects are presented a paper outlining the accusations, the Russian legal system, the filing of the charges, and response from the accused represent the formal start of a criminal probe initiating what could be a long and secretive Russian judicial process. Task quoted its sources as saying the FSB investigation charged Gershon with espionage in the interest of his country. He categorized, denied all accusations and stated that he was engaged in journalistic activities in Russia. The source declined further comment because the case is considered secret. Russian authorities arrested Gershon 31 in Yekaterinburg, Russia's fourth largest city on March 29th, he is the first U.S. correspondent since the Cold War to be detained for alleged spying. FSB specifically accused Gershwitz of trying to obtain classified information about a Russian arms factory. The Wall Street Journal has denied accusations. Like I said, the mainstream media is going to tell us one story, but alternative media, alternative media will tell us another. Okay. And I'm sorry. I know, you know, we all know by now that the American government is corrupt and crooked. And they'll pull any stunt to get uh, dirt on a country that they don't like. All right. We've seen media reports indicating Evan has been charged. The paper said in the statement Friday, as we've said from the beginning, these charges are categorically false and unjustified. We continue to demand Evan's immediate release. The case has caused an international uproar. Okay. Now, you have to understand, we can't be like, oh, well, you know, he's innocent. He's an innocent journalist. Look at Paul Whelan. Was he innocent? And you found that he had a lot of dirt on him. Okay. Got to wait till those facts come out. And uh, then we make our decision. In a rare U.S. bipartisan statement, the Senate's top two leaders demanded a Friday that Russia immediately release Gershwitz. Yeah, that's, like, that, that's going to happen. We demand that we, you release Gershwitz. Release him. And the U.S. government, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell declared that the journalism journalism is not a crime and praised Gershwitz as an internationally known and respected independent journalist. We demand the baseless, fabricated charges against Mr. Gershwitz be dropped and he be immediately released and reiterate our condemnation of the Russian government continued attempts to intimidate, repress, punish in, in, independent journalists and civil society voices. The two leaders said on Thursday, the U.S. ambassador to Russia and a top Russian diplomat met to discuss the case in the meeting with the U.S. ambassador, Lynn T. Tracy, Russian deputy foreign minister, Sergei Ragabov, 
stressed the serious nature of the charges against Gertrudez, according to a Russian foreign minister statement. The statement repeated earlier Russians claim that the reporter was caught red-handed while trying to obtain secret information using his journalistic status as a cover for illegal actions. If that is the case. I'm sorry. Like I said, he put his freedom, okay, at risk. You put your job on top of your freedom. Sorry. That That's just the dumbest thing to do. And you, after we've just seen what they will do to you, like what they did with uh, Brittany Griner, Paul Whelan. Lawyers representing Gershwitz met with him Tuesday for the first time since his detention, according to the Wall Street Journal editor-in-chief Emma Tucker. Tucker said the reporter is in good health and is grateful for the outpouring of support from around the world. We continue to call for his immediate release. Around the world? You sure about that? Gershwitz was ordered to be held behind bars for two months in Russia pending investigation. A Moscow court said Monday that it received a defense appeal for of his arrest. The appeal is scheduled to be heard on April 18th, Russia news agencies reported. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. But like I said, okay, if he put his freedom on the line for a crooked government that has just been exposed for, you know, Nazi sympathizers, I'm sorry, man. It's just like he... He put himself he put himself in that situation. All right. Now we got uh, another journalist who's been arrested and he's in a Polish prison now. OK. Let's let's uh, get into that story right now. We're here. What we're here. What his wife has to say. He's been in there for a year now. He's still there. OK, let's see. Here we are. As you know, my freelance journalist husband, my marido, el periodista freelance Pablo González, fue detenido el pasado 28 de febrero en Polonia mientras cubría la llegada de refugiados ucranianos. He was covering the arrival of Ukrainian refugees accused of espionage. Acusado de espionaje. He was given a provisional. He was given provisional detention until May 29th, which has now been extended to three months, three more months of time without having sufficient provided sufficient evidence to support such an accusation. My husband has been deprived of basic rights contained in the charter of fundamental rights of the European Union, such as the right to direct communication with his family and assistance of his trusted lawyer. Pablo is the father of three minor children. We ask for something as basic as his children being able to talk. Pedimos algo tan básico como que sus hijos puedan hablar con su padre. To his father, like him being able to talk to his family. Como que él pueda hablar con su familia. Pedimos que su abogado de confianza. 
We ask that your trusted lawyer can assist you and can visit you. Have access to your file and be able to defend it. We ask that the provisional detention not be extended any further. That if enough evidence, as they say, and if they don't have them, let them set them free. Thank you very much. All right, let's get more into that. We have the article right here. Uh, yep, here we are. All right, here we are. Okay. Um, <clears throat> on February 2023 will be the date on which Pablo Gonzalez Yagi, a journalist who covered the war in Ukraine for La Secta as a collaborator, will serve one year in prison in Poland. Accused of espionage, the prosecutor's office has not provided any new evidence that could incriminate him during the, these months in which the Polish justice has denied that the reporter was assassinated, was assisted by the lawyer he appointed from the beginning. He faces up to 10 years in prison. The first news that Ohana Gorina, Pablo's wife, had of the events came at, at seven in the morning on February 28th, 2022. She told me that the Polish intelligence services had detained him, that he was in his dependencies and to notify his lawyer. He affirms the defender he is referring to is Gonzalo Boyer, a lawyer who has been assisting the journalist since he suffered an incident with the Ukrainian services on the 4th of the same month, at which time they questioned him, checked his password, and duplicated his identity cards. Credit. They also invited him to leave Ukraine because they understood that he was reporting on the war from a pro-Russian profile, says Goria. Since then, three days have passed in which Pablo was, or his relatives and close friends, disappeared. He didn't know anything not where he was or if they were treating him well as his wife. At that time, his closest circle began to contact the Spanish consultant in Poland. The diplomatic courts had no official confirmation that he was detained. Finally, they were able to witness it. The Spanish consul told them where Pablo was and seven days later, what he was accused of espionage, a crime that depending on the seriousness of the facts can be punished up to 10 years in prison, according to the Polish penal code. We began to request visitation permits so that his lawyer could see him as well as phone calls, but they denied us everything. But denied us everything, not even Boya was allowed to take charge of the case, added Gorina. In this way, the first moments Pablo was assisted by a public defender, although the closest circle of him does not know, does not know if she really can visit him in prison. His wife adds that they do not know if she resigned as a lawyer or Pablo challenged her. Then another lawyer arrived whose name doesn't, they don't even know. Accused of espionage, prosecutor's office have not provided any new evidence that could incriminate him during the long year in which Polish justice has denied that the reporter was assisted by his lawyer. He faces up to 10 years in prison. Thus, Pablo was defenseless for a month and a half without a public defender or individual who could assist him in his judicial process. 
for which he could face up to a decade in prison. In mid-April, and seeing that Boyer was not allowed to intervene as a lawyer, Pablo Circle obtained a lawyer who assisted him until October. The journalist, for his part, does not stop suffering the hardships of prison, enter into the first prison he went through until May, or in the jail where he is currently. He is in Camomundo. He can't make any calls except to his lawyer, and he hasn't been able to talk to his family. Boyer continues to be denied uh, permission to see him until November. He has not had any visit permits, says Gorina. In fact, last November 21st was the first meeting between Pablo and his wife. We know that our letters do reach you, but between two and three months late, Dave open them, read them, and censor them. And the same thing happens with the ones he writes because they come to us with red stamp after censorship, she maintains. The daily torture of the prison, the conditions in prison are based on being locked up in the cell for 23 hours a day and remaining hour in a yard measuring seven by four meters and now that the winter is coming he can't even go out those go out those 60 minutes in which he can breathe some air because not even with all the clothes he's allowed to have he is not able to withstand polish cold Greener herself stresses that they don't turn on the heating and it is not that they provide her with thermal clothing it is that they have always refused us the possibility of sending her clothes from abroad time passes and it seems that the first advances have arrived since September. His closest circle reinforced that the defense team, in any case, for everything we have to ask for permits, and they even deny us those that will allow us to buy basic things like vitamins because the prison menu is deficient in all aspects, says Pablo's wife. Wow. This is a lot, man. This is a lot. And Poland is still... Uh, Poland is still... Uh, on the side of Ukraine. All right. And just recently that they took down their Nazi flag. Thoughts and prayers for that man. That's all I could say. And Poland is very cold. That's all I could tell you when it comes to that. These countries are very dangerous, man, and I wouldn't risk my life to get involved getting information for either side, Russia or Ukraine. And Ukraine definitely, because Ukraine, um, they will they kill journalists in Ukraine. All right, Poland, I don't know, you know, but you get information on this war, okay? Especially the sides that uh, that are for Ukraine, they're definitely gonna lock you up. All right, moving on. Okay. <sighs> These people really are a protected class. All right. Devoid of reason. But once again, I will say this. I do hey, I do blame feminism because they crept into this into these uh cracks. All right. Here we are. Here we go. When women allowed, you know, you allowed them in because you wanted allies, this is what happens. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? 
This this is what they, she has to deal with, okay? This is what unfortunately this is what she had to deal with, all right? Other women are paying the price. All right. You guys wanted equality. Guess who is gonna step into that? These transformers. Okay. And it's sad what happened to Miley. It really is. Okay. Because she didn't deserve that. She didn't deserve that at all. Okay. And she has to deal with this uh, insane crap that's going on. Okay. Because she just, you know, standing up for women's rights. All right. Sorry. Her name is Riley Gaines. Sorry for that. Riley Gaines. All right. She's standing up for women's rights and women's spaces. And she didn't deserve to be attacked. Okay. She didn't. Let's go into the story right here. Right here. All right. It's sad that women have to defend. They have to come up and say, like, we want to, <laughs> you know, we are women and we deserve our spaces. And you have these she dudes coming out of nowhere and attacking her for it. And you can't, you know, it'd be, I wonder what would happen if a guy comes in there and just roughhouses those she dudes. He'd probably get arrested and be labeled a woman beater, but that's a she dude. Well, first of all, nothing has happened to the people who assaulted me. The campus police did nothing. The student or the dean of students was there and did nothing. There will be no repercussions unless I have something to do with it. Um, I will be pursuing legal action. These people need to face repercussions. Um, and I was barricaded because after my speech, um, an ambush of people entered into the classroom, turned off the lights, they attacked me. Um, I got escorted out of the room and immediately pushed into that room that we saw on the video. And I was trapped in there for three hours. Yeah, it's just, un it's unbelievable what happened to you and even more unbelievable, the aftermath and how these people are. Yeah, it's horrible. But unfortunately, this is not going to go away. All right. They're going to have more attacks. They already had, what is it, Trans Day of Vengeance. All right. That they want revenge. That's what they, when that shooting happened, okay, they were focused on 
the, 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 the murderer being misgendered, not the fact that that person killed three children and three adults. They don't care. They don't care. This is it's all about them. All right. They would probably say that this person, Riley Gaines, deserved what happened to her. Okay, they will say that. And this is what's happening. This is what we're all going to deal with as parents. All right? You're going to have to make some really tough decisions that, you know what, my daughter can't. If she's good in sports, I'm sorry. We're going to have to, you know, make some sacrifices. It's like you may not be able to do sports if they are open to having Transformers participate. Okay. And because these people have gotten so much power, okay, they feel emboldened to attack women. Here's something here. Transformer cyclist booted from women's championship after female competitors threatened boycott. Okay. And you think they're going to accept this and make their own league? The Transformers are going to make their own league? No, they're not. They're going to raise hell and force themselves into it. They're going to find some way to do it. Okay. But this is because it's gone for so long being unchecked. All right. Imagine if the roles were reversed and a group of white conservatives ambushed someone within the alphabet community, physically assaulted them and held them for ransom for three hours. There would be arrests and repercussions for the perpetrators and administrations who allowed it. Okay. Instead, the campus police and university did nothing. They were scared to assert any force and, and adequately do their job for the fear of coming off as racist, transphobic, or anything other than an ally for the community. I'm tired of the double standard. When will it enough be enough? Well, unfortunately, they're not going to do anything because money's involved with these universities. They're not. Okay. That's how it's going to go down. Okay. All right, next story. Next story coming up. All right. All right, here we go. And voila, what do you know? We have this story coming up. All right. Former students mass shooting plans at three Colorado Springs schools and they were stopped. The former Academy District 20 student is in jail charged with attempted murder. El Paso or Elbert County deputies rather discovered 19 year old William Whitworth's manifesto with hit list and specific plans to print out guns to carry out those attacks. Court records reveal the three schools the student was targeting are Prairie Hills Elementary, Timberview Middle School, and Pine Creek High School. Cardio News Channel 13's Annabelle Childers is live at Timberview, where the suspect once attended school. Annabelle. Heather, it has been a whirlwind of a day for District 20. This morning, district leaders got the call that a former student was being charged with attempted murder for planning those three attacks against schools within the district. And in the next hour, those leaders were reading details on why it was happening. You have that first probably 10, 15 seconds of you feel it through your whole body. 
there's fear, there's anxiety. For District 20, it's hard to put words to how shocked they were today, learning that a former student, William Whitworth, who identifies as Lily, was allegedly planning to attack three of their campuses. Every now and then we'll get a, maybe a social media threat will come in and we can quickly identify that it's not credible. But today, threats to shoot Timberview Middle, Prairie Hills Elementary, and Pine Creek High are documented in arrest records. Poor docs show that Whitworth's sister called Albert County deputies on Friday. She told them that Whitworth was threatening to shoot up a school. When deputies went to Whitworth's home, they found diagrams of school layouts, plans to create explosive devices, and a list of firearms and instructions on how to 3D print them. They also found a manifesto where Whitworth wrote down a list of ways they wanted to die and names of other mass killers. When the 18th Judicial District Attorney's Office filed formal charges today, D20 was contacted by the Elbert County Sheriff's Office. When this happened, they, they were going through this and they immediately reached out to our security department. D20 is grateful that the plans were reported before they became a reality. Thanking the individuals who heard something, saw something, and said something, because today or next week could be incredibly different if that individual did not take the courage and have the fortitude to speak up and do the right thing. Whitworth is now in the Elbert County Jail facing numerous charges. They are being held on a $75,000 bond. Reporting live at Timberview. This is a not a gun problem. This is a mental health problem. Okay. And I just was talking about how they feel emboldened to do this because they have so much pull. Okay. And they know that the Democrats are not going to call them out on it. They know they're not going to be reprimanded. Okay. It's sad. It's a sad case. But until there's an honest sit down about, about this problem, an honest sit down of, uh, listen, this is, the, you don't need to, be a transformer. You need help, legitimate mental help. Okay. Instead of having them go through this transformer stage, which is irreversible, and now they're suffering mental health problems. Okay. But unfortunately, you know, what I'm saying is not politically, um, what could I say? It's not, uh, of the agenda that they want for today. They want lies. They want this to keep going, okay? That's what they want, all right? Um, let's get into the story with this uh, Russian blogger. here yep here we are this is wild it's a wild story bro Let's get back to that breaking news that we're following, everybody, um, out of Russia. We're getting reporting about a well-known Russian military blogger being killed in a bomb blast. NBC foreign correspondent Matt Bradley is on this for us. Um, Matt, if you will, what are we learning? 
Yeah, well, we just saw this today. It was uh, the death of a man named Vladlin Tartarsky. His real name is Maxim Fomin. And, you know, what we're learning is that this cafe was hit by what looked like some sort of bomb blast. And there were more than a dozen people injured. But the only death so far that we're hearing from official Russian sources is this blogger. And we talk about a blogger. We're talking about what we call here in Ukraine or in Russia a mill blogger. And this is a, a, like an actual community of people who have almost unofficial and increasingly official ties to the Russian government uh, in which, you know, they are they are party to information that they get from the Russian government. Uh, but they've also been increasingly critical of Russia's performance in this war, this sort of disastrous invasion that's now going on about 13 months into where I am now here in Ukraine. Now, mm. this man, Tatarsky, he's notorious for a comment he made last year at an event that was held by Vladimir Putin to commemorate the annexation of four provinces, we call oblasts here, um, that, you know, he said, basically, we will defeat everyone, we will kill everyone, we will rob everyone as necessary, just as we like it. And that is probably what ignited the, the killer to take them out. Okay. Unfortunately, you have some of these people, even within the U.S. military, all right, who think it's cool to kill and plunder, and it's perfectly fine, that it's okay. And you think people who you are victimizing are not going to want payback and follow through on it. So this is the kind of bellicose rhetoric that a lot of Ukrainians have gotten used to hearing from this mill blogger community. There are people who are both incredible champions of the war, of Russia's war here in Ukraine, but at the same time, they're very critical. And actually, Tatarsky said last year, he criticized, slammed the top brass of Russia as untrained idiots. It's unclear who caused this, um, but this is something that we're gonna hear in the next couple of hours or days. Okay. All right, let's get into the article right here. Let's get into the article. That's the thing what people don't understand. The internet is a very, the internet makes the world a very small place. And people like this, look, I don't even think Vladimir Putin is really worried about this guy. I'll be very honest because people like this, will make you um will make your your you know the military look bad what you 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 saying that okay and according to vladimir putin he really doesn't want this war but because they want to join with nato and nato was surrounding uh russia you know he had to do what he had to do all right it's basically what happened Oops, sorry about that right here. Um, let me get that article in a second. It's not the one. Here we are. Okay. Hold on a minute. Yep, here we are. Right. Let's go. The West sets a disturbing new president over murdered Russian military blogger. The lack of condemnation of the St. Petersburg blast hints that sometimes terrorism is considered acceptable. Okay. 
This is the guy's name, Rochelle Martin, is a columnist, political strategist, and host of the independent produced talk show in French and English. All right. Okay. Okay, that's the writer. Sorry. Okay. Apparently, terrorism and murderous reports gets a free pass if the Western establishment doesn't like the target's profile or if the perpetrators risk being linked to an ally. The radio silence from the West is deafening in the wake of the murder of military blogger Vladlin Tatarsky at a cafe in St. Petersburg. Tatarsky was killed after being handed a statue by a young woman, Daria Trepova, that subsequently blew up the entire venue. For all of the Russian officials' differences with Russia can't can they really not at least bring themselves to condemn a blatant act of terrorism in the middle of a major city center? We're talking about how that some that some the same folks who spent two decades kicking down doors around the world under the guise of fighting a global war on terrorism. Just a few years ago, cartoonists and writers for the French satirical magazine, Charlie Hebdo, were gunned down in broad daylight at their Paris office by jihadists who objected to the publication's portrayal of Islam and the Prophet Muhammad. Western leaders roundly condemned that terrorist act, standing firmly on the principle that you couldn't go around murdering people who conveyed thoughts and views that you didn't like. Many of these leaders even traveled to Paris to march alongside a massive crowd of defense of freedom of expression and the press. Now, however, they can't even bother to muster the most meager defense of the same principles in the wake of Tatarsky's murder, an attack that investigators claim is linked to Ukraine. Seems that whenever they, uh, when, whenever there's any alleged involvement of Ukraine, the West conveniently turns a blind eye. The automobile explosion that killed Russian journalist and activist Daniel Dugna near Moscow comes to mind. America's officials said that they were not aware of the plan ahead of the time for the attack that killed Daniel Dugna and that they had admonished Ukraine over it, reported the New York Times last October. Similarly, the Washington Post reported this week, and the unwritten rule among Western officials is don't talk about Nordstrom, the pipeline network carrying a gas from Russia to Europe that was mysteriously blown up last year, since they would rather not have to deal with the possibility that Ukraine or its allies were involved. Then there is Metrovot's list of journalists and activists maintained by the Kiev-based NGO, the Metro Center, which names people whose actions have signs of crimes against the national security of Ukraine, peace, human security, and the international law. It has yet to either be shut down by the Ukrainian government or denounced the Western allies, despite a 2017 United Nations report on human rights in Ukraine, urging Ukrainian authorities to address it. Acts of terrorism and affront of free speech are clearly in the eye of the Western beholder, which would explain why much of the media rhetoric focuses on Tatarsky's pro-Russian stance. The void left by the lack of official reaction from the West officials is being filled with Western press articles focusing on Ukrainian-born bloggers' prior involvement with Russian-backed separatist forces in 2014 in the Donbass. Uh-oh. There he got his start in covering events through the Telegram channel, which grew to become wildly popular with CNN, noting his ardent pro-war commentary. But if prior military experience of some kind and taking sides in one coverage of armed conflict was justification for murdering journalists, then every Western veteran who started a blog and every opinion journalist would be fair game. There was no shortage of Western outrage over the murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi 
inside the Saudi embassy in Istanbul a few years ago. Despite his longstanding activism against Saudi leadership, why should the death of a Russian blogger be treated any differently? Bulgarian investigative journalist Crystal Gazev, who was heavily featured in the Academy Award-winning feature documentary film about Russian opposition figure Alex Nalivi, apparently thinks that some people are just legitimate targets for terrorism and argues that the cafe may not have been a purely civilian location. Although it was previously owned by Yegovinci Prigozhin, the head of the Russian private military enterprise Wagner Group, that doesn't magically transform a dining establishment, which welcomes anyone right off the street in the middle of a major city into some kind of military base. If an American general walks into Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Pentagon City, Virginia, doesn't suddenly turn the hotel, the hotel or its bar into a legitimate military target for bombing by some entity that has a score to settle with Washington. And what about every journalist who has been embedded as a guest of Western troops in conflicts like Iraq and Afghanistan and has promoted the talking points of their hosts while siding with their own country? Are they a, game, are they a fair game for picking off now too? The prominent Washington Institute for the Study of War think tank whose board's members include American generals Jack Keane and David Petraeus, as well as Washington's former ambassador to the UN, Kelly Kraft, previously and routinely qualified to Karsley as a prominent Russian military blogger whose work they apparently considered worthy of informing their research. It seems like there's an effort underway by some members of the Western establishment to reframe the Gary's act of terrorism and the murder as something trivial, all because the target was Russian, whose views they don't like. And that's an awful slippery slope. Well, this is how the, the, the United States government, okay, they want Russia to be taken over, okay? And, you know, there's bad blood on both sides, okay? We already know what our government is for Nazis, Okay, there's also been that before World War II, America was already a Nazi nation. Okay, you can look that up for yourself. You could fit, you know, little homework. You could do that. And um, that's how it is, man. That is how it is. It's sad, but hey, I may sound a little, you know, Bible thumperies, but it feels like we're in the last days. A lot of truth is coming out about everything, about people, about countries, about events. And it's, uh, hey, it is, what can I tell you, man? What can I tell you? All right. It's, it's really, it's really out there, man. That's all I can say. How things are going down. All right. Okay, let's get into this other story right here and how Africa, they're not playing. They really are not playing. Let's get into this story right here. Okay. All right. Second. Yeah. Here we are.
They are not playing. They're really supporting Russia. When they say they're part of BRICS, they are a part of BRICS. Okay. Here we go. Tensions continue to intensify between the United States, Russia, and China, with fears that this could result in a war. Authorities in the United States say that for the first time, the, U the U.S. is facing two major nuclear powers, and they fear that U.S. power is declining. The chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff Army, General Mark Milley, said last week that the U.S. must remain the most powerful nation on earth if peace is to continue between the three nations. But he said while both China and Russia have the means to threaten U.S. national security, war is neither inevitable nor imminent. Well, let's discuss all of this and its implications on South Africa with Professor Spamanja Zondi from the University of Johannesburg. Prof, good afternoon. Thank you very much for your time. Welcome to today. I mean, I saw a story last week as well about uh, the U.S. Congress approving the biggest defense budget in the longest time, if not in its modern history, because of the statements that have been made by the U.S. military to counter what they fear is the declining power they have in the world. Oh, yes, yes, we have, we have seen that. We have seen that the United States has been, uh, for a long time now, by the way, for the, for the past two decades, have been worried about the rise of other centers of the world that are not subservient to the United States. The United States has conceived of the world where anything that rises, like the EU has been rising over a period of time, Japan has been rising over a period of time, Australia has been rising over a period of time. For as long as they want to be subservient to the United States, it doesn't see that as a threat. But any that is independent and they want to charge their own direction, they see that immediately as a threat to their national interest because they see their national interest as the whole world. They see themselves as a the world policeman. They see themselves as kind of like the power that underwrites the whole world system right now. And they have been talking up this competition. They've tried it on the economic side to impose sanctions and limitations on Chinese companies and, and all that, trying to manage that and try to dissuade other countries from signing up to Chinese technology and all of that, failing to compete economically. Now the United States go to their trusted terrain, which is to uh, further expand its military power. It don't have the biggest military power in the world. Um, no, no one um, matches them in terms of military uh, power. But in terms of ability to win wars, that's a different story. The United States has not won in any war uh, in decades now. Uh, it doesn't win war, but it has the biggest um, uh, capacity to fight. Yeah, 842 billion US dollar proposed defense budget discussed by Congress last week. And as you point out, they want to uh, shore up their defense uh, capability, especially in and around Asia, because that's where China is, is located. I mean, the possibility, the military there in, the, in America saying, no, no, the war is neither inevitable nor imminent. But why want to spend so much money if you're not preparing for war? Or am I being melodramatic? Yeah, you just said something very interesting. They are saying they want to 
prop up their defense, not in America, their defense in Asia, which is completely the opposite of where they are. It's almost like me staying in Alexandria and I, and I say I want to put my defense in Archbishopville in Pretoria. Only imperial powers understand that logic. How do you, in the Western Hemisphere, want to prepare your defense in the Eastern Hemisphere? Um, over 10,000 kilometers from where you are. What, what defense is there? It can only be offense. It can only be uh, what they've been trying to do, which is to contain uh, China, which is to signal to China that we are surrounding you, uh, which is to incite China, put bases right around China, and yet say China is someone wrong. It's almost like putting all my equipment, my bombs around your house and say you are aggressive. But it's me who puts my armor around you uh, because I fear that you are becoming stronger, you are becoming assertive and all of that. So let will continue to do this for two reasons. It, 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 it showing off macho power like that of a bouncer in a nightclub is a very much part of the United, United Nations cycle. Secondly, every president in the United States must be seen to, have start, to be ready to start a war somewhere and be ready to emasculate United States as a form of power. But it does appeal to the domestic audience in the United States. It does help them win votes next year and other things to be yeah. seen to be arming, even if they're not going to be going to any war. But they must just arm themselves to, to, to death. And South Africa's position in all of this is interesting. I mean, um, looking at the decline of the U.S.'s uh, influence around the world. I mean, several countries now deciding not to trade using the American dollar. There are all kinds of concerns of what the impact will be or implications for, for America's uh, economy, uh, which has also been struggling uh, recently. But South Africa is also, it's got good relations. I mean, just uh, late last year, our president, uh, Matame Lasriramaphosa, visited Washington and had talks there. And then we had Anthony Blinken on our shores late last year. And currently, we, we are seeing that there's more a kind of approach to Africa with Kamala Harris having been in three African countries recently. South Africa is also a member of BRICS, Professor. And in BRICS, you've got the likes of Russia and China, which America is not happy with. How does South Africa navigate this complex picture? This is the complex picture that Mandela found. Uh, remember what Mandela said to the United States, uh, don't choose our enemies, don't choose our friends. We'll have our enemies and all of our friends. Your enemies are not our enemies. Uh, allow us to just have enemies of our own. But another state was trying to say, oh, no, no, you are a democracy, and we are like the father of democracy, and you, you must follow us. Whoever we think is evil, consider them as evil. And, and Mandela insisted at that point that we must be independent, must look at what is of interest to us, and definitely of interest to us is to relate with both the East and the West. It's to relate with both the North and the South. It is to relate with all sides and try and make the most of, of, of economic relations and focus on economy, focus on development, focus on investment, on trade, no, no. And, and all of those things. Yeah, Prof, just to come in that as we conclude then, do you think Vladimir Putin should come to South Africa in August to attend the BRICS summit? I think South Africa has two options. One, one option is to convert the, convert the summit into a virtual summit and then avert a situation where uh, Putin lands in South Africa and South Africa is compelled 
to uh, to arrest. Um, um, the second option is the option they used with uh, with with, with uh, Al Pashi, which was to ignore the arrest warrant uh, on the basis that uh, Russia is not a member of the ICC and that this is a part of the unfair pattern that is taking place and then take the flag for it, but then that will die down after a time. It has those options that it can play, but it seems to me the most advisable one is to appeal or um, um, convert the meeting into a virtual meeting or take shift the meeting from South Africa to another country that is unlikely to arrest Putin. Mm. Okay, thank you very much. As you can see, South Africa is not putting up Okay, with the Western powers no more. Okay, and the US dollar is dying. So I hope you guys could invest in some gold and some silver. And um, we are ever so changing. Okay, more changes to come. All right. And a lot of people are going to suffer, especially in America. Okay, because the citizens around the world, citizens in Western countries, they're going to suffer the most because their governments have been bullying other nations like Africa, okay, India, all right, and other countries, China, and they're getting tired of it. And unfortunately, the citizens are going to suffer, you and me, but not if we prepare, get food, get water means to protect yourself it's going to be a bumpy ride time for partying is over if you want to you know you have your little get-togethers but be wise in your spending be wise in your giving okay especially if you live in the five boroughs i'm talking about my place where in nyc okay because those those cities are going to get hit the worst Cities are going to get hit, and then those people are going to flee the cities and come to the burbs. It's going to be a mess. But let's get back to what I'm saying about it. South African bans arms sales to Poland in support of Russian interests. I told you, Africa is not playing. All right? They are not playing. South African governments have made decisions to ban sale of arms to Poland as a means of protection to protect Russian interests. This move follows the recent visit of Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Larvov to the country for bilateral talks. According to sources, the South African administration has taken the step to limit the potential supply of the country's ammunition by Poland to Ukraine amid the ongoing Ukraine-Russia conflict. This move is in line with the Afro-African National Congress, the ANC, reaffirming their commitment to Russia as a longstanding ally and friend. The ANC has recently called Russia a longstanding ally and friend to the ANC and reiterated plans to strengthen relations with the country. We have made it clear that the that Russia is a friend and we have had cooperate, cooperative partnerships for many years, including partnerships as we combated the apartheid regime, said Minister of International Relations and Cooperation of South Africa, Nalandi Pandor. South Africa's decision to ban arms sales to Poland highlights the country's support for Russia in the current geopolitical situation, further emphasizing the long-standing alliance between the two nations. All right. 
not playing. They're not playing around, man. Okay. Wars, the United States government is definitely going to find ways to sanction Africa. All right. They already tried with uh, Uganda because Uganda wasn't going to be down with their alphabet mafia takeover. All right. America is going to get very angry, the American government. But, you know, Africa, they're not going to care. They're not going to care at all. Hey, because once they're tired, they are tired. So that's what's going to be their backbone. They are fed up. All right. Let's get into this news right now. More news. Okay. There we are. Okay. Here we are. Get a load of this. I can't make this up. You cannot make this up. In security breach, classified war documents with secret U.S. NATO plans to help the Ukrainian military were leaked on social media platforms this week. This according to a post by the New York Times. The documents were also circulated on pro-Russian government channels. The leak has left the Pentagon scrambling to assess the security breach. The report said that the information in the documents is at least five weeks old. The most recent document is dated March the 1st. Now, this leak is the first Russian intelligence breakthrough that has been made public since the war began. White House Deputy Press Secretary Sabrina Singh has said that the Pentagon was aware of the breach and the department was reviewing the matter. Now, here's a look at what the leaked documents contained. One document summarized the training schedules of 12 Ukraine combat brigades. It said that Ukraine needed 250 tanks and 350 mechanized vehicles. Now, one on details of the expenditure rates for munitions under Ukraine military control, including the U.S.-made HIMARS rocket systems. Another containing charts and details about weapons, deliveries, battalion strengths, and other sensitive information. The HIMARS rocket system, which uh, the leaked papers mention, has proved to be highly effective against the Russian forces. It can launch attacks against targets like ammunition dumps, infrastructure, and concentrated troops from a distance. The Pentagon has said that uh, not how quickly the Ukrainian troops are using up the HIMARS munitions, but the leaked documents do. The reports also quoted military analysts who said that the leaked documents appear to be modified in parts. They pointed fingers at Moscow and alleged this could be an effort at disinformation by the Russians. Now, one of the modified documents released by the Russians claimed that 16,000 to 17,500 Russian soldiers had been killed, whereas Ukraine had suffered the loss of 71,500 troops. 
However, the original Pentagon report stated that Russia had suffered far more casualties, with closer to 200,000 killed and injured. And Ukraine has had more than 100,000 killed and injured. Since the early stages of the war, Ukrainian officials were hesitant about sharing their battle plans with the United States over fears of leaks. A security breach and information leak of this magnitude is surely concerning and is likely to hinder intelligence sharing between the Ukraine and the United States. The bungling is unreal. That's all I have to say. The bungling is unreal. I, I can't believe that. It's kind of you're embarrassed to be an American, man. Okay? It's just this. You just feel very embarrassed. Like, man, this this is my country? <laughs> no, wonder, no wonder other countries laugh at Americans. No wonder. Our food is garbage. Okay? The money is soon to deplete, okay? It has no value. Never really did, okay? I uh, can't make this up, man. All right. Here we go. Here's why the leaked secret plan for Ukrainian military offensive doesn't add up. The release looks like an attempt to distract Russia's attention from what's really going on. On Friday, photos appeared of a document alleged containing details on a planned imminent Ukrainian offensive on territories controlled by Russia. The leak coincided with suggestions that the NATO Defender 2023 exercises planned for end for the end of this month could be a cover for an operation to supply and support Ukrainian units. However, upon closer examination, doubts arise concerning document's authenticity. When did it appear? The supposed secret plans to support an offensive by Kyiv's forces hit the internet the day before Anthony Blinken made a statement on the subject. The U.S. Secretary of State said the operation will begin within a few weeks. What information does it contain? There hasn't been a leak of this nature since Moscow's military campaign in Ukraine began over 13 months ago. It is noteworthy that the published plans contain not only a schedule for supplying Ukrainian units with NATO weapons and ammunition, but also information about the structure of the bridges and battalions allegedly preparing for the offensive. The document dated March 1st says Kyiv's brigades need 253 tanks, more than 380 infantry um, fighting vehicles and APCs, 480 vehicles, 147 artillery pieces, and 571 HMM WV armored vehicles to carry out the offensive. Which information is most suspect? The probable locations of Russian units indicated on the combat map in red appear to have been collected from open sources. Several pro-Kiev resources that track military operations contain almost identical information. Also, the ratios of killed and wounded for the Ukrainian and Russian armed forces were initially appeared in these secret plans, have since been changed since um, when first posted, the losses for Ukrainian side were underestimated at about 16,500 to 17,000 people. Then, probably to more realistic, they increased the almost fivefold up to 65,000 to 75,000. At the same time, the numbers given for Russia's purported losses of vehicles and equipment coincide with data published by Kyiv's Ministry of Defense. 
What else is wrong with the published AFU offensive plans, the blatant falsification of data on the readiness of Ukrainian military formations catches the eye. The document states that of the nine supposedly to be trained up to U.S. and NATO standards by March 31st and April 30th, five of Kiev's brigades have had zero training. These are the 82nd Airborne, the 32nd, the 117th, and the 118th Territorial Defense, as well as the 21st Separate Mechanized. Even if only two or three companies in these brigades were trained and self-preparation wasn't completed, their level of training couldn't be zero. At the same time, the highest percentage of readiness was recorded only in the 47th Mechanized, 40%, and 46th Airborne Assault, 60%. What is the upshot? The plan also gives perplexing figures for military equipment. For example, out of 109 M2 Bradley BMP sent to armed forces, for some reasons only 99 are to be are to participate in the offensive. Moreover, the vehicles are not distributed among the brigades and only assigned to one formation, Key's 47 mechanized brigade, which doesn't have any tanks. Rather, the Soviets T-72s or T-64 BVs. This Group, this grouping has also only Slavic T 55SS with 105 mm guns, which are difficult to use in large scale offensive. The small but important errors and inaccuracies in the calculations of equipment, the adjusted accounting of losses, as well as the presence of units with zero readiness, indicate that this document, which was issued as a secret plan, was probably prepared and distributed not by the military but by a group of civilians, probably pro Kiev analysts. The, propose, the purpose of the planted misinformation may be to underreport the actual number of combat-ready Ukrainian units to be deployed for the offensive or to distract attention from other events related to the real operation. Okay, let's read uh, these comments here. From Manuel Vega, according to the most recent Durin's Alex Christophos, it contains repeat exact figures the UK, the UK Defense Minister Ben Wallace saying over 90% of Russian soldiers are Ukraine. Ridiculous. Yeah, I, I would say it's ridiculous considering the fact that, you know, Russian soldiers were tearing up Ukraine. Okay. And Ukraine suffered, you know, ridiculous losses. Here's a comment from Mustang 38. Manuel Vega, I know, right? Russia has 1.15 million active military personnel. 200,000 initially invaded Ukraine and took out took a lot of territory, about three times as much occupied at this time. 6,000 died, according to Russia's Ministry of Defense. About two-thirds of the initial captured territory was given back in regroup gestures of goodwill. So a lot less land to hold, yet mobilization was needed. It all totally makes sense. Russia is totally not losing the war and more than 1 million trained Russian soldiers on duty just have better stuff to do than waste their time with the special military operation. That's why regular Russians had to be mobilized. Belgorod, Kursk, etc., are constantly being bombed, actual Russian on blasts. The mobilized will surely take care of it. Real 1 million military doesn't care, and they're totally real. They exist and are not all dead or currently dying in Ukraine. That's basically it. Okay. So it seems like they fudged the numbers. Okay. And the report that was given, I'm sorry. Um, the last time I checked, it was a whole lot more Ukrainians dead than Russian soldiers. Okay. 
I didn't I couldn't really buy that story. I just couldn't. All right. All right. So let's check into this story right here. Um mad mad our mad mad president, okay. That we have here. Guess what he's doing? All right. Biden White House holds roundtable to promote child mutilation, affirm gender confused kids. The Biden administration has continuously thrown its full support behind the mutilation of the transformer youth. Okay. I blame Obama for this, though. The Biden administration has hosted a White House roundtable Friday on conf- and affirming gender confused children amid ongoing controversy about subjecting minors to life-altering chemical and surgical mutilation. The roundtable on affirming transformer kids was held to hear directly about the joys, hopes, and challenges that transformer children are experiencing and commemorate the April 1st, April Fool's Transformer Day of Visibility, according to the White House. Isn't that an insult? You hold this on the 1st, April 1st, April Fool's? The transformer kids and their parents share their experiences living in the state's living in states, sorry, that have attacked their rights, discussed how these laws have impacted their mental health, and highlighted how parents are protecting their children. Basically, you came here to try and uh, bully other parents who don't believe in this madness that's going on and to stifle their voices. That's what I'm getting from this. The event was hosted by Biden Administration Domestic Policy Advisor Ambassador Susan Rice and U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Yivik Murthy. According to a White House release following the event, as one roundtable participant shared, it feels scary when the politicians elected to represent you don't care about your well-being. The evidence, however, indicated that the affirming camp are the ones putting disregarding the well-being of gender-confused young people. Studies find that more than 80% of the children experiencing the gender dysphoria outgrow it on their own by late adolescence. And that even full reassignment surgery often fails to resolve gender-confused individuals' heightened tendency to engage in self-harm and self-deletion, and may even exacerbate, including by reinforcing their confusion and neglecting the actual root cause of their mental state. Shucks, this is real sad to read. On top of those issues, experts outside the medical establishment further warn that the surgically or chemically reinforcing gender confusion imposes irreversible harm on the children, such as infertility, impairment of adult sexual function, and reduced life expectancy, as as well as the psychological toll of being locked into physical alterations, regardless of whether they change their minds when they mature. The issue is grimly illustrated in the story of Yevil Martinez, a 19-year-old to whom gender transitioning was touted as a possible cure for her depression in high school, supported by a high school counselor who withheld what she was going through from her mother. The troubled girl self-deleted after trying to live as a man for three years. Many often ignored detransitioners, individuals who attempted to live under a different gender identity before embracing their true sex, attests to the physical and mental harm of reinforcing gender confusion, as well as the bias and negligence of the medical establishment on the subject. Even so, the Biden administration has not only taken a hardline stance in favor of the transitioning minors, but condemned leaders who disagree as close to sinful. 
In April 2022, the administration issued documents through the HHS Office of Population Affairs and HSS Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration's National Child Traumatic Stress Network endorsing gender-affirming care for uh, the transgender and non-binary children and adolescents. Last December, U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services Xavier Becerra submitted written answers to Republican Representative Mary Miller of Illinois stating that HSS is focused on ensuring that care is not stigmatized or denied based on a youth's identity as, consi- as consistent with the law, reiterating that medical, surgical, and mental health and non-medical procedures to affirm patients' gender dysphoria are supportive forms of health care by aligning their outward physical traits with their gender identity that all children and adults should be afforded these treatments and declaring that players, both public and private, should cover them. Becerra refused to disavow that stance in congressional testimony last week on Friday, following the murder of six Christians, including children by, uh, by a transformer radical. President Joe Biden claimed that the wave of discriminatory state laws is targeting transformer youth, terrifying families, and hurting kids who are not hurting anyone. And that, and, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen. These kids were killed by a transformer, okay? These kids weren't doing anything. And we I just covered a second transformer that was caught before they decided, you know, to unalive people. All right? So what is Biden talking about? He's really going hard in favor of you know, the alphabet mafia. Really going hard here. And and kids are being killed in the process. Okay. And that an epidemic of violence against transformer women and girls, in particular women and girls of color, has taken lives far too soon. Like you give a damn about black people or people of color. For years, left-wing activists have claimed that gender-confused Americans are the targets of ongoing violence epidemic, indicating systematic hostility on them. The Alphabet Pressure Group Human Rights Campaign, HRC, claims that 2022 saw at least 38 transformer people fatally shot or killed by other violent means. However, only two of the cases enlisted by the HRC identify any possibility that the victim's gender identity was a motivating factor. Two others were victims in the Club Q shooting last month, which initially presented as a hate crime before word got out that the perpetrator was himself non-binary. The rest of the deaths appeared to be a mix of random violence, crimes motivated by unrelated issues, or the result of relationships and police altercations stemming from victims' own mental health issues. Okay? For perspective, 38 is less than 1% of the 22,900 murder and non negligent manslaughter cases in the U.S. in 2021, far lower than the numbers of murders broken down by victims of specific races. Okay. We're in trouble. That's all I could say, because the White House wants you to believe that the shooter was a victim, not those three children and three adults that were killed at that Christian school. And the person, all right, another transformer 
that was attempting to do the same thing, he's a victim. He, the transformer. Okay. So what we're seeing here is that there are more rights for the perpetrator than the victim. This is the land that we live in right now. Okay. This is the land we live in right now. I'm not going to say it's Biden's America because whether it's Trump, Biden, whether it's Obama, whether it's Bush, they got to, they, they follow orders for the elite to have this going on. Okay. That's what's going on here. And it's going to get worse. That's all I can say. You, people are going to have to find ways to how to deal with this problem because this problem is not going away. You're going to have more shootings because the problem is not being properly addressed. What they're doing here is putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. And the wound is still leaking. That is what's happening here. And more people are going to suffer. Okay. It's sad, but th this is what's going to happen. It's going to keep happening. And more people are going to die. Because... People who actually want to help these kids, okay, the people who actually want to help these kids, the doctors that actually see what's going on here, they're being threatened that if they dare speak out against this, okay, they are going to be fired. They're going to lose their license to practice medicine. That's what's going to happen. And it's it's sad because real doctors understand the Hippocratic Oath. But if they dare try to actually do their job, they're going to face some serious problems. That's the issue here. All right. I'm done with this live. Anything you want to know about this channel, it's in the description box. Okay. And uh, leave a comment in the comment. Uh, in the comment section, you know, hit the like, helps the al algorithm. Share the content. Have more people talking. Have more people um engaged in this you know so we could talk about this because this is our lives here okay things are going to change things are going to change and it's not going to be for the good it's going to be for the worse people are going to just have to tighten up their belt okay because some of us are going to be living like that video game the last of us okay okay all right later don't forget to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have any stories you want me to do, let me know in the comment section, all right? Also, my email is in the description box, so 
you hit me up, let me know what stories you want me to do. I do social and political commentary. All right, later.